This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 28th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Stephen Breyer will step down as a Supreme Court justice at the end of this term. Cato's Thomas Berry and Will Yateman discussed with me some of Breyer's background and his approaches to administrative law and interpretation of both the Constitution and statute. Before his time on the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, what was now Justice Stephen Breyer's background? He was an administrative law scholar. Uh, at Harvard. Um, he wrote a number of influential books and papers. Um, he worked as the right-hand man um, on Capitol Hill of uh, the Ted Kennedy Committee that led deregulation of the airlines. And that's really where he cut his teeth um, before he was appointed to be a judge in the First Circuit, um, and then ultimately became a Supreme Court justice. And notably, uh, I would, I, Willie, I think I, I made reference to this in a conversation we were having uh, offline, which was that uh, Breyer is interviewed for the Commanding Heights documentary, and he discusses for, for at least a little bit the uh, competition among airlines in a state of price controls and said, uh, well, you couldn't compete on price, so you began competing on services that you provided. And so uh, he was talking about just it being an uncomfortable position, being a federal regulator, uh, trying to regulate the deliciousness of meals on airlines in order to prevent this kind of uh, of competition. But you, you said that he was uh, quick to jump on administrative law cases, what did his jurisprudence look like in that area? I think uh, with what you set forth, when, with the way you introduced the question, you sort of get at it. Um, he specifically, I mean, with respect to uh, airline deregulation, he took on this thesis of the time that regulation was necessary to prevent, quote unquote, um, excessive competition. Um, and ultimately, you know, it led to a uh, uh, highly beneficial deregulation of that sector. Um, I should note here, however, by no means was he a libertarian. Um, that is to say, he, he was progressive. He had progressive values, and he believed in regulation. He believed in societal good that could be achieved by the administrative state. However, um, I guess what he sought was to make it more efficient. And in his learned approach to doing so, he was willing to slay certain sacred cows, such as this notion that excessive competition is an impetus for regulation. Um, and then later he took on um, sort of the irrationality of the precautionary principle. Um, so in so doing, in so trying to uh, make regulation more effective, more efficient, if you will, he ruffled some feathers. Um, you know, so that is to say, he's a, it's a complicated legacy. It's a complicated approach that he brought to administrative law. Highly pragmatic, um, ultimately to the end of making administrative governments uh, governance better. But however, again, in so doing, his proposed reforms would often anger progressives. So a complicated legacy. But what was what were some highlights in terms of uh, cases that he? dealt with administrative law that uh, that you found heartening or you think contributed to a more rational constitutional order? Well, so as a general matter, he was such a nuanced and thoughtful writer and, and you know, a, a judge, justice, that his opinions were so context dependent 
that they often didn't have a large reach. I mean, he was not given to rhetoric of the sort that gets cited over and over again. Um, and sort of his long-term legacy, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's very much, um, it's complicated, much like his views on the administrative state that I just discussed. And, and what I mean by that is he set forth uh, during his time in the court a number of reforms in administrative law that to him were all about making the administrative state more efficient, better. Ultimately, however, these reforms were co-opted by uh, largely uh, conservative justices or or so-called conservative justices, that is, ones that were appointed by Republican presidents, who would then take these principles further um, than what Breyer had initially intended. Um, so, you know, there's actually a number of examples here. The, the best example I'll point to, um, and I think that it's had the most salutary effect in administrative law, um, was a, 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 an issue for him. And as articulated in his dissenting opinion in FCC versus Fox Studios, was the problem of when administrations, presidential administrations, change hands and, and the regular, the administrative state on a dime turns 180 degrees, you know, from Republican values to Democrat values or vice versa. For him, this was troubling. And, and he called upon courts to, to scrutinize the reasons given by agencies when they make these abrupt shifts and ultimately to temper them, I mean, to ensure that agencies are acting reasonably. Uh, this was an idea that Chief Justice Roberts took and ran with um, and ultimately culminated with a major development in administrative law in 2019 in a case called DHS versus Regents of California. And this was all about the Obama-era um, DACA policy, um, which no doubt our listeners are familiar with. But the long and short of it is, Justice Roberts, effectively building on Breyer's prior work, um, required that the government henceforth take into account so-called reliance interests whenever it changes position, um, you know, largely due to the party changeover in the White House. That was a big deal. Um, and again, it's, it's sort of an example of how a nuanced, thoughtful opinion or, or principle advanced by Justice Breyer was ultimately uh, uh, you know, co-opted. Justice Roberts took it and ran with it and, and ultimately um, engendered a pretty big change in administrative law for the better. So to you, Tommy, uh, how did uh, Justice Breyer differ from other justices when it came to interpreting statutes or constitutional provisions? Justice Breyer's philosophy was really influenced by his time working on Capitol Hill as a staffer. His approach was focused on the intent and the expectations of legislators. Justice Breyer really viewed the most appropriate way to enforce a statute as to look at what would a reasonable legislator have wanted uh, the outcome of a case to be based on the purposes uh, and expectations they had when they passed the statute. Justice Breyer was not uh, a fan of the textualist uh, strict interpretation view that Justice Scalia and other conservatives on the court had, which is essentially just to look at the text as it was passed uh, and the words within the four corners of the statute. Are there any highlights uh, that that draw out that distinction uh, between sort of a stricter textual interpretation and sort of projecting 
what you believe the views of the creators of that provision to be? Yeah, a good example is a case about the Federal Arbitration Act from 1995 called Dobson. Uh, Justice Breyer interpreted the word, uh, that was a case about whether an act involving or a contract involving interstate commerce um, essentially allowed the act to extend to the full limits of Congress's Commerce Clause power. Uh, the textualist on the court looked at the definition of the word involving and read that to be a fairly strict and narrow uh, requirement for what the what a contract had to do. Justice Breyer looked more towards the purpose Congress had when it enacted that statute. Um, he looked at legislative history that suggested Congress really wanted this to be a game changer um, in in terms of clearing the field of regulating these contracts. Um, and so he essentially used his purposive view um, to read it as extending to the full extent of the Commerce Clause power. So uh, if I understand from taking both of your views of, uh, of Breyer's administrative law uh, jurisprudence and his interpretation of text, it seems like he would be the kind of justice to defer more broadly to the wishes of either an, an administrative agency or of m members of Congress or the a, a particular party before the U.S. Supreme Court. Is that fair? It, it is. I believe statistics showed, in fact, that he upheld statutes from constitutional challenge at a greater rate than any other justice on the court uh, during his time. And I believe he also upheld administrative action uh, against challenges uh, at a higher rate than any other justice uh, during his time on the court. Will? Uh, so um, I echo what Tommy said, and the statistics certainly bear out that um, to an unusual degree amongst his peers, he would side with administrative agencies. And again, I think this comports with his progressive values and his belief in the possibility of effective regulation solving societal problems. Uh, that said, um, you know, there were critical dissents um, or concurrences or opinions uh, that he would issue uh, taking issue with the reasonableness of agency action. So uh, the one I just mentioned, that FCC v. Fox Studios, uh, in which he wanted to incorporate within the, the court's uh, framework for reviewing agency decision-making, whether or not the agency sufficiently took into account the fact that it's, it's changing its policy on a dime. So it, with a justice like Breyer, I, I wouldn't want to paint in any broad brushes. Um, so I wouldn't want to take too much from those statistics. I mean, where he did disagree with an agency, he packed a big punch because he knew so much about administrative law. Well, uh, let me ask you, you mentioned reliance interests, this thing that I've only heard about in recent years, uh, and, and the, the root of it was an opinion from Justice Breyer? The, the idea. Um, so, yes, the, the first Supreme Court justice, to, and again, in this opinion to, that I've mentioned a number of times, FCC versus Fox Studios, um, he was the first guy to, to sound the alarm that, that, hey, we've got a problem here. Um, you know, when we've got these political changes, uh, you know, in presidential administrations, it's leading to these wholesale changes in policy. Um, and we've got to think about that. And, and in the course of judicial review, we've got to take that into account. And when agencies are rendering these changes, they've got to take these things into account. Um, there was a subsequent case in Sino Motor Cars when this idea of reliance interest was born out a bit more. 
and uh, I forget who authored that opinion, but Breyer was on it. Uh, I think it was actually Roberts. Um, but the long and short of it is it, it stemmed from his idea and that that term reliance interest was subsequently worked out in the law. And again, it ultimately culminated with uh, Chief Justice Roberts' blockbuster decision in DHS or Department of Homeland Security versus Regents of California, in which, again, he, he incorporated this, uh, this criteria criterion of reliance interest into the factors that a court must consider when it decides whether or not an agency is acting reasonably. It, it, it's interesting because reliance interests would seem, if you take that consideration seriously, it would seem to limit the range of decisions that a court could make uh, in the in the wake of bad lawmaking by Congress or uh, bad implementation by the executive branch. Here, here, the, um, that would be the point. And this is something I've written about and others as well. But yes, the practical effect of you know, taking greater consideration of these reliance interests um, is that you temper the, the swings. And now I should say here that, that to be sure, uh, Breyer was in no way trying to gum up the administrative state. Um, you know, again, it was progressive values. He believed in regulation. Rather, he wanted it to, to make sense. He wanted it more efficient. He wanted it more um, responsive. So he was looking to improve regulation. Um, ultimately, however, um, these doctrines, uh, you know, not just this reliance interest, but others, you know, ultimately the, the practical application of the doctrines that stemmed from his ideas can have this uh, anti-regulation, anti-administrativist, or that's the, the current lingo for someone who, who thinks there's too much regulation out there. Um, and, you know, that's what I was getting at with my first point. He was so nuanced, so brilliant that he would put these ideas on the table that people who had different political values could then run with. Thomas Berry and Will Yateman are legal scholars at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 